Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Good morning and welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. So glad to have all of you with us today. I haven't done this once this week, but it's now Thursday and I should make this clear again for some of you who are still wondering about our schedule. Political Rewind is now on the air at 9 a.m. every morning. Once the impeachment trial ends, you'll have two chances to hear Political Rewind, 9 in the morning Two in the afternoon, our uh, old-time slot, will be on both of those times. On Fridays, yes, believe it or not, three opportunities, <laughs> nine in the morning, two in the afternoon, and at seven on Friday night, you'll be able to watch Political Rewind on GPB-TV. It'll be followed by uh, Bob Costa and Washington Week. We're starting to uh, broadcast Washington Week tomorrow night, and we're very excited uh, about that. Uh, we've been talking with their producers in Washington about how we can work together and uh, expand our coverage of what's going on in Washington. So uh, it's exciting to have Washington Week join our lineup. Okay, Uh, once again, second day in a row, big, big news, uh, breaking early this morning. Um, Let me introduce the panel and we'll talk about it. Tamar Hellerman, senior reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us. Hey, Tamar, welcome. Thanks for having me. Happy Thursday. Uh, Good to have you here. Right across from uh, Tamar, Jackie Gingrich-Cushman. Jackie is a conservative columnist and uh, analyst. I always say, Jackie, I read your columns at your website, Mm JackieCushman.com, because then I get to see about all the other things that you're doing. So, for instance, your book, (laughs) Our Broken America, Why Both Sides Need to Stop Ranting and Start Listening. Good advice during the impeachment trial. Jackie. Absolutely. We should all listen. <laughs> all right. Next to you is uh, Adam Van Brimmer. Uh, we're glad to have you in the studio, Adam, editorial director of the Savannah Morning News. You're up here because today is Savannah-Chatham County Day at the state capitol. Yeah, Savannah-Chatham Day once a year. They come up. About 500 business government leaders are in town, probably on the way now, probably listening to me, so I'll try not to put my foot in my mouth. Uh, just real quickly, are there a couple of issues that you know, the folks who are coming up oh, here are going to really be pushing hard this session? The big the big thing for Savannah and Chatham County right now is the Savannah Convention Center expansion. They want to double the size of the convention center. They lobbied last year to get it included in the government and the governor's bond package. Yeah. They were successful, at least theoretically. It was in Governor Kemp's $70 million was in Governor Kemp's budget as part of a bond package. There'll be $70 million each of the next three years. With the budget situation, they're obviously a little bit nervous that yeah. it's going to be hard to keep it there. So they're coming up, and they'll have their buttons on. So if you get to Capitol today and you see uh, Savannah people, that's what they're Has doing. Has the Savannah Morning News uh, editorialized either in favor or against this? We are. We are in favor of the Convention Center expansion. We are a, a, a very pro-business editorial board, and in okay. terms of economic development, the Convention Center. Okay, well, sense. thank you. It's great to have you in the studio uh, here rather than our Savannah A lot uh, more traffic bureau. between <laughs> the studio <laughs> here. That's, that's and, right. Mm-hmm. And I am so glad to welcome back. It's been way too long since Theron Johnson, one of the leading Democratic consultants, government affairs people in Georgia. Theron has a long history of working in Democratic politics, including having been the uh, lead on uh, uh, President Obama's second term, head of the Southern Operation 
pushing uh, Barack Obama's campaign. You've just you're all over the map with politics and you've been part of a group and you always have to explain what <laughs> the group is. You've been selected as one of a handful of people around the country who are helping advise. Is it the DNC or is it how are you working on helping them craft their messaging? Yeah, it's just a small group of us that uh, no matter who the nominee, he or she, uh, will be for the Democrats in 2020 to go on and face President Trump. We're just really, quite frankly, we've narrowed it down, Bill, to about six battleground states that we're really focusing on. Because as you know, there are some states like Michigan where President Trump only won by like 10,000 votes. And so it's a really small, unique group. Uh, We're actually inheriting a lot of new people that have actually joined the group that have, um, unfortunately, their candidate has gotten out of the race for president. And so it's expanding. Uh, But we're very excited about the work we're doing. I, I look forward as as the campaign unfolds to having you come in and talk about Absolutely. that specifically. Anytime actually. you need me here, I'll, I'll come. Just, I, that's just a great thing to hear. By the way, two other quick things. Number one, Theron is a regular on Georgia Gang, uh, which airs at eight thirty in the morning on Sundays, on uh, WAGA Fox Five, and uh, one of the long. I think it's the longest running local political talk show that's in correct. the country. I was I was on that show back in when it was I still remember. Channel Two. <laughs> you do. You must have been about three years you, old. You, you paved the way for me, Bill, and I appreciate it. <laughs> the second thing I want to say about having Theron and Jackie together is, I always love when the two of you you know each other well. You don't share the same views on many issues, but you always <laughs> talk about it with such collegiality. And it's fun to listen to you, too, so we'll enjoy that today. It's always good to be with Jackie. Absolutely. All right, so let's get right to it. Tamar Hellerman, another day, another candidate in the Senate race. This is a very big announcement. Doug Collins was huge (laughs) yesterday as well. But Raphael Warnock, Reverend Raphael Warnock, Ebenezer Baptist Church senior pastor, finally this morning, everybody's been waiting for it, uh, put out a video saying he's in the race, Democratic. he'll be a Democratic candidate in the jungle election in November. And he's become a very influential force in Democratic politics over the last couple of years. We were watching him very closely in 2016 when Senator Isaacson was running for his third term. Um, he'd given kind of what we called an everything but speech, you know, where, where he was kind of hinting so hard and, and basically said all the things you needed to say without announcing a run. He ultimately said he wasn't going to do it. The party went with a, with a kind of wealthy newcomer who didn't do so well against uh, Johnny Isaacson back then. But Warnock is somebody who's very close to Stacey Abrams, who's close to the party, and is seen you know, he's going to have a lot of backing from influential figures, including Stacey Abrams, as we're expecting in the days ahead. And perhaps he's the closest that we're going to see to a consensus candidate a going candidate forward. candidate in the Democratic Party. It's fair uh, to say so. Well, quick thing. I want to really get your take on this, sir. But let me ask you a quick question. I would, this is me speculating, you may know this for certain, I would have guessed that if Warnock had his way and his campaign completely had their way, they would have rather held this announcement until after all the noise of impeachment trial was over with. But once Doug Collins declared yesterday, they really didn't have much choice. They had to jump now, right? Absolutely. And I I think that the uniqueness about what we are going through in the Democratic Party is for months, Bill, we've talked about it on this show. Uh, you've talked about it over and over again, and that is who is going to sort of emerge on the Democratic ticket as a candidate. And the thing that's so unique about Reverend Warnock, if you look at his video that he put out this morning, uh, it really tells a story about his upbringing, growing up in the projects in Savannah, Georgia. A lot of the people who are listening, we know we refer to it as Seaport. Um, but 
what also he's uh, doing is he's sort of getting into issues around poverty and making sure that people who work hard like him, who um, who uh, give an opportunity for education, will have an opportunity to succeed in this country. But, you know, I, I do want to say this, and, and, and Tamara is it's definitely spot on with her analysis, but um, I don't think that we have seen the last candidate jump in this race. Mm. Um, and it's not to take away anything from Reverend Warnock. I think that he brings a uniqueness. What we're about to see for the first time in Georgia is a pastor and a politician. And what I will say now, now that he has jumped in the race, he now is a politician. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. he's probably listening. His his folks are listening. The Abrams people are listening. And I would just warn my party, because I've said this, Bill, I think a moderate Democrat, he or she, is the best person to win in this very tribal climate that we're in in Georgia. And I just really hope that he understands that a lot of things that he has said previously, that I know that the Republicans are going back and checking the tape at Ebenezer. They're checking the tape at a lot of these speeches that he gave around uh, the state of Georgia. And he's got to make sure that he defines himself (laughs) immediately because what's about to happen is hundreds of millions of dollars that are going to flow in if he if he even looks like he's going to emerge. And then let's not also forget that you have Mr. Lieberman, who's in the race, and you have Ed Tarber. Matt, Matt, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, Matt Lieberman, and uh, you had Ed Tarber, former state senator. Who hasn't announced yet, but everybody expects him to get in. Right. So, so good news. We got candidates. Uh, we're about to have a robust debate. But let's just see how it all pans out. Uh, before we keep talking, why don't we listen to just a little bit of the video that uh, Warnock and his people released this morning. He starts, as Theron says, by talking about his upbringing and the projects in Savannah, Adam Van Brimmer. You can talk about that a little, perhaps. Um, and then he goes on to talk about his career as a minister at Ebenezer Baptist Church and how he thinks it's applicable to being a member of the Senate. Let's listen. Some might ask why a pastor thinks he should serve in the Senate. Well, I've committed my whole life to service and helping people realize their highest potential. I've always thought that my impact doesn't stop at the church door. That's actually where it starts. And I love this country. And I believe that what makes America so great is that we've always had a path to make it greater. Greater for people like the ones I've counseled at my church and others like them across this state. Like my father used to tell me every morning, whatever it is, be ready. I think Georgia is ready, ready to stand up for the family who's tried to do everything right. But when they receive one bad medical diagnosis, they realize that the cost of being sick is too much. Ready to fight for the dignity of workers who have paid too little and pushed aside as government works for Wall Street corporations. Ready because I realize that a kid who grows up in the projects today and struggling families across Georgia have it harder now than I did back then. I'm Reverend Raphael Warnock, and I'm ready. I'm ready to be your senator. You know, I want inspirational music like that to follow <laughs> me. Can we play music like that every time I... <laughs> Just narrate your life. You wanted to jump in real quick, and yeah. then let's open it up. You know, Theron was talking about how the reverend has to define himself very quickly, and I absolutely agree with him. But, but something that he has to be extremely careful of, our understanding is that he's going to stay in the pulpit at Ebenezer Baptist as he's running. And the IRS keeps very careful yeah. track of folks. You know, we, we have this thing called the Johnson Amendment, where, you know, <laughs> for a church to keep keep its tax-exempt status under the tax code, they're not supposed to be using 
the pulpit yeah. to to campaign for office. You can talk about political themes, but you're not supposed to be benefiting a candidate or anything yeah, and like that. It's going to be a tough. It's going to be something that you have to be very, very careful. Jackie, here's one of the things I thought was interesting. Theron said he's been a pastor. He's been identified as Reverend Warnock. Now he's a politician. Every time he refers to himself in the video, he starts by saying something to the effect of, hello, I'm Reverend Raphael Warnock. He ends by saying, Reverend West Raphael Warnock. He's sitting in these pews right. He's in the in video. The old, yeah. in the old Ebenezer, the, the traditional church. Um, so it's interesting. He, he clearly is going to continue to define himself as a reverend. Uh, and I, I don't know what impact that has one way or the other, really. I do think it raises some questions from the church's standpoint. Obviously, they have to be very careful at Ebenezer. They don't want to have extra scrutiny. And they, you know, I'm sure there probably is some concern, too, that it could turn um, all the Sundays into kind of circuses, right? Media circuses about what he says. Um, so it's interesting, he says, who would think that a senior, a pastor would become a senator? Well, Doug Collins, as we all know, yeah. right, has, right has been a pastor. Yep. So there are at least two people who have thought about that. Um, and I do think that Theron's actually very, very right. I mean, and I hate to agree with Theron because, you know, I love to argue with him. Uh, but I do think that the, the Democrats' best uh, candidate would be someone who's more moderate and that can pull um, from the middle to get some votes. And I don't think I, I actually like Reverend Warnock personally. He and I have served together on the board of GEARS, which is a Georgia Early Education Alliance for Ready Students. We work on birth through five. Um, he's taking a leave of absence from that board because he is a candidate, um, mm. which is very standard, not unusual. But I think it's going to be a challenge for him. And often for people who have been close but not in politics, um, running is very different than watching. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of unfolds. Yeah. Adam, uh, you know, Theron thinks that perhaps Warnock's past liberal positions could haunt him in this race. Uh, he certainly has a chance to redefine himself and maybe move to the middle. Goodness knows we've seen enough Republican candidates sure. who have come from the middle and redefined themselves to the right. So it wouldn't be completely unusual if he decides to do it that way. How, how do you think he plays down in Savannah, where you have a big African-American population, clearly? He, he plays very well. Stacey Abrams was very popular in Savannah. And if he's lining up, if she's lining up behind him and in his policies, you've talked about him being a, a little bit more to the left than to the middle. If he stays there, that's going to find that's going to play fine in Savannah. I think the interesting thing in Savannah and probably most of Georgia, once you get outside Metro Atlanta, is Ed Tarver, assuming he gets in, people know him, a U.S. attorney mm -hmm. in Augusta. Mm -hmm. So he has name recognition in Augusta. He has name recognition in Savannah is how does that dynamic play out and how does Warnock kind of define himself uh, beyond um, Atlanta and Ebenezer? Yeah, yeah and, and let, me, let me say this. I, I'm, I'm excited about this. So I don't want, you know, my analysis to be overshadowed by the level of excitement because personally to see an African-American man to, to rise to the level that he has risen to is remarkable within itself. And, and so I know Reverend Warnock personally, like Jackie. I think he's a great man. He's a great orator. Um, but but my, my, you guys bring me on this show to take our listeners kind of behind the scenes. Absolutely. But also we want to analyze. And so I want to go on a record for saying his commitment, he said that he feels that he's been called by God to run. Uh, he's a very religious man, and and I think that you know he's been wanting to run for some time, and, and and no matter what you think about him, I mean to step out on faith and want to run for U.S. Senate is remarkable within itself. But 
the thing that I am just saying, and I've been saying this consistently, is I do think that Reverend Warnock, to Tamar's point, he does bring a level of humanization, and he's kind of a breath of fresh air because while Doug Collins is a pastor on the Democratic side, we've never seen um, someone that has run for a statewide race for U.S. Senate be able to have a conversation uh, about religious issues or religion and also be able to um, have a conversation about political issues and how he's going to tie those two together. I believe, based on the video, is that he believes that because of his church, and it's not just any church. I mean, it's Ebenezer Baptist Church, the home church of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He's going to feel like he can maybe have a, a robust conversation with some of the evangelicals in this state. He may be able to kind of carve out some of the partisanship on issues and really bring it back to values. And so I do think that if he is going to be competitive in this race, I'm sure his team is thinking about yeah. all this. And, and and the last thing I'll say is this, is that to have Stacey Abrams on your side, I mean, let's just give her credit. And I want to go on the record mm-hmm. for saying this. To have her on your side definitely uh, give, gives him a, a tremendous boost because yeah. now he inherits a built-in organization statewide that she's been able to um, manifest. Jackie, I've mentioned this on the show before, but today is another time to, to just emphasize it again. I had a conversation with uh, Reverend Warnock the day after the Democratic presidential debate here. A number of the candidates went over to Ebenezer mm-hmm. where uh, uh, Fair Fight was staging a little phone bank event, and so they all showed up. And, and Warnock came into that, and I, I pulled him aside, and I, I said, what are you thinking? Are you thinking you're going to make the race? And it was pretty clear even then, November 21st, that, yes, he was really this time about to do it. And, that, and then I said to him, your congregation will be bereft. They love you. They don't want you leaving. And that's when he said what I've mentioned on the show before, that if he runs, he intends to do it in the spirit of Adam mm-hmm. Clayton Powell, Jr., who served in Congress for like 25 years, a district in Harlem at the same time he was pastor of Epsonia Baptist Church in Harlem. And Adam Clayton Powell, too, was known as a great social activist. And if you're going to find a role model historically, Powell's not a bad one. Well, I think he's certainly a role model, but today is a different time. I mean, yes, and I, I think there's a lot more scrutiny. I think you do have issues because it's Ebenezer, and I think there's some land issues in terms of the federal. They have some kind of agreement with the federal government regarding the land. So that, you know, overlays another challenge, I think, for him. Um, but I want to go back to what Theron said. I think he's exactly right. I mean, someone that um, has Stacey Abrams behind them. Um, and, and, I, and I'd like, love to hear Theron's comment about this because I've heard, I don't know if she's cleared the field for him or worked with National to clear the field for him. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of, and then we can talk about the Republican side where we have kind of two proxies as well, right? So <laughs> you end up having this kind of, you know, proxy um, election um, with the, all these kind of, you know, relatively two newcomers to politics and then one, Doug Collins, who's been around for a while. Yeah, right. I don't think that she has cleared the field for him, but she definitely has pushed him to the front of the line. You I know, mean, and, and I think that, that that definitely helps him, but I don't think she's going to discourage anyone else uh, who wants to get in this race. Adam and Tamar, I mean, and then I'll give Chair, Theron a chance, but I'd like to hear your takes on this. Adam first. Um, so Theron makes the case that perhaps a more moderate candidate would be more effective in, in our tribal Georgia right, right now. But... You talked about Stacey Abrams and how powerful she is as a force in Savannah. Abrams chose in her governor's race not to really play to the safest, most moderate voters. She embraced an agenda that many thought was pretty liberal 
and came within a close uh, margin of, uh, of throwing that race into a runoff. So I'd like to hear you guys talk about it, and then we'll give Theron another chance at it. Yeah, I think it, Abrams tacked that way, I believe, to try to get people out to vote, was, was to really increase the number of people that would come out to vote. I think this November, we're not going to have any trouble getting people out to vote. Uh, so for Warnock, it's do you want to be moderate and try to pull more of the independents or the Republicans who, quite frankly, with the two leading Republican candidates, if you're not a Trump supporter and you are conservative, you're looking for somebody else. So maybe if Warnock moves to the middle, then Warnock can grab some of those votes. But I think in a nutshell, that's where I come down on it tomorrow. Um, two points I kind of want to make. First of all, looking at the Reverend's announcement video this morning and, and the kind of two policy areas that he talks about, expanding Medicaid mm -hmm. and raising the minimum wage. He He's not specific, but he does. He, he tips his hat to that. And those are two things that, that Stacey Abrams talked about. Those are issues that are mainly embraced on the left. So he's not he hasn't given a ton of indications he's going to go to the middle. That could change as we hear more. But there's that. Second of all, he's going to be running in a jungle race in November unless the legislature <laughs> yeah. changes that and we're in active <laughs> negotiations on that. But, you know, that that right now this jungle election where everybody's running on the same ballot, there are no primaries that does incentivize you to perhaps go to the middle. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's fair. fair? Yeah, and, and tomorrow you you said exactly what I was going to say. So what's really going on here? And I'm I'm interested to switch gears here in a minute because Jackie. <laughs> yeah, is we're kind gonna, of, gonna yeah, take, no, no, we're going to keep rush this it. up. I don't want to rush it because come back and talk about talk, Jackie's race. We're going to talk about right. this circus on the Republican <laughs> side right now. But no, so the, so as we sit here today, it is a jungle primary. But let's just hypothetically say that the bill gets passed in the legislature. The governor vetoes it, and then it's overridden by the legislature. The bill that would, in fact, yeah. set March primaries <laughs> for the second Senate seat. Right. So, but to tomorrow's May, May point. Primary. I'm sorry. May, May primary. Yeah. May primary, but, yeah. But, but I agree with my friend from Savannah. I think that, um, and I want to push back on this. I think the Abrams people would say, while she was definitely categorized as sort of a radical left candidate, she did make a lot of moves toward the middle. Let's yeah. not forget, Bill, that she put Governor Deal and her television ads. And so right. she she did do both. I think and I think what the Abrams campaign probably learned, which I'm sure they're gonna tell Warnock, is you gotta define yourself early, but leave a little room there to be kind of, you know, middle left or left middle because don't get too quickly defined. But I do believe that if the jungle primary stays as it is, it's gotta be a way for you to appeal to some of these college educated, disaffected Republican, suburban white women. And I think they're looking for a place to go. And I don't think they see it in Leffler. And I don't think they're going to align with Collins, who has right been now. the chief defender. Yeah. So they're so they're in play right now for somebody like Warnock or Tarver. We're gonna to have to take a break in a minute, but Jackie, when I can't help but wonder and Theron hasn't said this in so many words, but when he talks about wishing that there were a Democrat who could appeal mm -hmm. more to the middle. I think there are a lot of Democrats out there like him who'd really hope Michael Thurmond would jump into this race because they <laughs> thought he might bridge both those more liberal and the more moderate uh, points of view in, in the election. But it, I, it, you know, and Mike, of course, is a frequent panelist on the show, and I don't want him to run. I like having him on Political <laughs> Rewind too much. It's going to be hard. I, I would assume that at this point, he, he's not going to be able to jump into this thing. I mean, you, you never know because you never know how things are going to roll out. So I would, I would never say never until qualifying is over. And, of course, the qualifying date may change. So, you know, <laughs> we don't know. Um, but I do think I want to go to the, the Republican. I mean, I think it's a very interesting race. 
Um, but you're, you make me hold? I'll hold. Yes. Can okay. you hold on? I'll hold. All right. I'll hold. I, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to cut you off, but here's what I'd like to do. Let me establish an agenda for the rest of the show. I want to get a break out of the way. We've talked about Warnock. When we come back, let's let's pick mm-hmm. up. You get the first word about what's happening on the Republican side now that we've got Doug Collins in the race. Then, after that, I want to talk, get all of you to weigh in on what you think about this, how this bill to establish party primaries in May would make a difference in both the Democratic race and the Republican race. Fair enough? Thank you for your support. (laughs) This is Political Rewind. We'll be right back. In the Political Rewind studio with us today, Theron Johnson, Tamar Hallerman, Adam Van Brimmer from the Savannah Morning News, and Jackie Cushman. When we left, when last we talked, Jackie, before the commercial mm-hmm. break, the underwriting break, you were going to start talking about the Republican race. Just to set this up very briefly, we know yesterday Doug Collins jumped in, uh, upsetting an apple cart of sorts because uh, Brian Kemp said he wanted Kelly Leffler as the candidate. He was mm-hmm. hoping to clear the field. He certainly didn't want to see Collins in the race. And almost immediately, uh, warfare has broken out <laughs> between the Leffler and the Collins people. The NRSC, the Senate <laughs> Campaign Committee, is attacking Collins as being selfish. He's calling the NRCC fake news. I mean, <laughs> this is going to be intense. But this, I mean, this is this is part of campaigning, right? I mean, this is this is for those of us that have actually been around campaigns yeah. for a very long time. Uh, Theron, I'm sure you've experienced as well. Even, even in the primary process, there's a lot of you know things that are said, and it's 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 a campaign. You're trying to win votes, and you don't do that by always being nice. Um, so I do think it's interesting because you have to kind of go back and look at um, you know the governor's process of appointing and kind of how he wanted to approach it. Um, and then I think, you know, I think she attempted to kind of block out uh, a run on the right with her ads and kind of how she, you know, staged herself. But I, I never thought that would work, honestly. I thought, you know, Doug was always going to run um, with her appointment. Maybe if it was a third party, maybe he wouldn't have. But with her appointed, I think it was clear to him that he should give it a try. I don't blame him a bit. In fact, Senator Leffler also said, you know, welcome to the race. You know, anyone's welcome to run. So she, I think she understands it's hard work. I think she um, understands it's a campaign. The question will be, just like Warnock, can she transition from right a non-politician to a political candidate? And I think we don't know yet. You know, Tamar, the, uh, what Jackie said is interesting. Leffler seemed to be working so hard to try to keep Collins from jumping in, proving her credentials as a Trump Republican, supporting every single thing the president does. There's an odd way in which, and what that meant is she didn't take the time, use that time to start telling people who she is, to establish her biography, which we all know is one of the most important things an unknown candidate can do. Uh, in an odd way, even though she now faces an, a, a big fight for to win, this has sort of freed her to now start doing what a traditional Mm -hmm. campaign would do. Here's who I am. uh, And and I think there's a way in which that frees her up. Sure. I mean, you're starting to see that in statements from her campaign Mm -hmm. where it talks about her growing up on a farm in Illinois and her, you know, putting herself through business school and, and becoming a businesswoman. And so you have that. So much of this depends on what the election cycle is going to look like. Why that's why this bill in the legislature is so important. If this is a jungle primary, in theory, this frees her up to 
maybe take a, maybe not the far right lane, but but take kind of a more center right lane. But if there's going to be a party primary with Doug Collins, she has to be so careful. And and right now he's really going for that lane on the right. And you look at the polling that the AJC did earlier this month, looking at favorability of Kelly Loeffler and, and Doug Collins, and especially among Republican voters. Um, you know, Doug Collins has 53 percent favorability and, and Leffler only has 31 percent. And, and there's just so much unknown and, and there really is just so little time. So depends on what the cycle is going to look like, what the calendar is going to look the like. Political consultant Theron Johnson is shaking his head like, oh, my gosh, what would I do if I were running that campaign, given those numbers right now? <laughs> that, that's tough. And, and, and Bill, you know, Jackie knows I'm going to say this. You know, when we were on uh, the show together the last time is when Senator Isaacson, who, by the way, is looking good. I saw him at the Georgia Trend uh, luncheon. Um, I mean, he they did a great job honoring him. He listens to you. He yeah, told he, me a, he, he, he loves my insight on here. But I said privately that I thought that Jackie would have been a great U.S. Senate candidate. Yeah, we should remind, you know, we stopped reminding people that you, <laughs> uh, you uh, put in your application for yeah. that job. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I thought for a while that maybe the governor would turn to her when the outcry that he was about to name Leffler mm-hmm. started up. I, so, so but then Jay, I would have lost I, I, I think, her. I think Jackie would say I was the first person. <laughs> you to, were the to first say. person. I appreciate that. But but so look, so let's you know I wouldn't be a Democrat if I didn't kind of get a little messy here, right? So let's talk <laughs> about what's really going on here, Bill. And you bring a lot of historical context to this. The underlining tone at the Capitol right now is you have two teams. You got the Trump Collins team. That clearly we know that President Trump has made it very clear that Collins was his guy. He wanted Collins to be picked by the governor and that he supports him. I mean, and you look at the amount of time that Collins has been defending and promoting the president's agenda. I mean, he is he's in a league of his own. But you got Governor Kemp, who's still a very, very popular governor amongst Republicans. um, And he chose Kelly Leffler. And I think. What, what is kind of brewing, which Republicans have always done a really good job of getting in a room and not letting things get too public in this country, I mean, in this state. But what's happening now is just, just think about the audacity of a Republican-led caucus to introduce a bill, get it out of committee. And I'm hearing from my sources that if it comes up on the House floor, it'll probably pass. Yeah. The question then becomes if it goes to the Senate— and some of my sources are telling me I think that's something that will be a little hard to do. But also, let's say it passes the Senate and it goes to the governor's desk. And then the governor has already indicated that he mm-hmm. would veto it. But then it goes back to the legislature and it has to get a two-thirds vote to override the governor. Yeah, and, and Ralston mm-hmm. has already suggested he thinks he could get a veto-proof majority. He sees at least hinting that that might be possible. But, you know. Yeah, so, so <laughs> I just want our listeners to understand how chaotic this well, that's right what now. I was going to say to you, Adam. I hope you brought body armor with <laughs> you from Savannah because I have never seen – Theron and I were talking about this briefly before the show went on. I cannot recall an instance, a, a period of time when the battle lines between especially the House leadership and the governor's office seemed m- more – uh, entrenched. I, between Kelly Leffler, Doug Collins, we're going to see that fight get really nasty, I think. Mm-hmm. Ralston almost certainly will support Collins, as will other uh, uh, legislative leaders, many other legislative leaders. And the fact that, that Governor Kemp, you know, kind of surprised the legislature with his budget cuts and then didn't ask them to be part of the process from the start. 
um, as popular as that's the one thing he can he can cling to. He's the most popular elected official in Georgia by a wide margin. So Kemp has that going for him. But the, the Collins Leffler fight just adds fuel to an already big conflagration conflagration. Right. And if you're serving in a legislature, you're in an election year, too. So mm-hmm. you, you've got to try to you've got to try to draw some lines. And we talk about uh, proxies. Right, the proxies, and this is is the Kemp people are with Leffler, and the and the the Trump people are with um, Collins. Well, let's think back a couple of years, and we know how that plays out, right? Nathan Deal, most popular governor in the state, and God knows how long, backs Casey Cagle. Yeah. yeah. Kemp gets one tweet from Trump, Trump, and wins seventy percent of the vote. Yeah. yeah. So you know, if it comes down to that, in terms of people leaning on the legislators, that's a big part of it. And then the other part of it is you have just a couple of weeks ago, you have a resolution that's floated in the House that basically says we need to praise President Trump for assassinating uh, Soleimani, which what does that matter? What does it matter in the state house to the state? It, it makes no difference whatsoever. But it puts all of those Republicans in a position to, in an election year, to Take a stand on that. And show that they support the president, which does well. And if you're a Republican incumbent, you do want to fight off any potential primary to the right. And so, general election. And, yeah. Because yeah. it would carry in general election. Well, and, and I do, I mean, you made a good point, but I think, I mean, Speaker Rawlson, what he's thinking about every day is not only getting through the session and passing a balanced budget, which they have to do, mm-hmm. um, and we can talk about the budget process later, but he's also thinking about um, making sure that his House is reelected. I mean, he, he's got to make sure that the Republican House is reelected, and this year is more important than most years because it'll lead to redistricting. So, um, you know, there is, it, I think it's sometimes we try to simplify things about, you know, it's this issue or that issue. It's actually like 45 different issues. They're all layered on top of each other. And we choose the ones that are most interesting that day. But it really is a much more intricate and much more um, challenging situation. One of the things that we can't ignore is one of the advantages, because I feel like we've beat up a little bit on the Senator um, Leffler. I want to I come to her defense a little bit here, is that she does have at her, at her disposal millions, tens of millions of dollars to really do what Tamar and, uh, and, uh, and Adam uh, said that she needs to do, and that is continue to really figure out what's her identity. But also, you know, let's not forget that it was recently put into Politico that Club for Growth plans to spend about $3 million in television ads in Georgia to attack the Collins record. Yeah. And so I think what you're going to see is now that he's a candidate, again, now he's already a politician, but now he's a candidate for U.S. Senate, you're going to see a lot of these groups come into Georgia and spend millions and millions of dollars to define Doug Collins and really let the voters know how conservative his record is in Congress. And so he, he's not going to just kind of, I think, come in unscathed. I mean, you're going to see a lot of pushback uh, on him as well. And one pro that Kelly Leffler has as a newcomer is she doesn't have a legislative record, which is great. She can kind of define herself as she goes, whereas Doug Collins has votes. You know, he entered Congress in 2013. He has all those years and all these budget bills he had to vote on as a member of leadership, all these tough compromises. And he has all those years in the legislature. So there's a, a long record to really go through. And the other thing that Senator Leffler has for her is, um, is she is it, even over the last, you know, what it's only been a month or the month and a half, whatever it's been, is she has been um, 
trying different things. If you look at her ads and her social media, are they where they need to be? No, we could talk about, you know, their other sides and other places. But she seems to have a willingness to try things and to see what works and a willing to work hard and, and learn on the on the trail. And I think that makes a big difference. I mean, we all know who Doug Collins is. In fact, anyone that watches Fox News mm-hmm. knows exactly who Doug Collins is and is used to seeing him. But I think she has a chance, if she takes it, to really kind of define who she is and why she's running, not only for her biography, which I do think is important, but I think the people of Georgia really care more about what it means to them and why she's running versus who she is. And I would say that's true for any candidate. And I think Warnock did a great job in his first ad of laying that out. And also, but to to really go back to a point um, as well, let's not forget that Senator Leffler, you know, she kept on Joan uh, Carr, who is is the wife of Attorney General Chris Carr. But more importantly, more importantly than that, she has served three U.S. senators, one Democrat and two Republicans, as chief of staff. Chief of staff yeah. for Johnny she's Isaacson. Very good. So, and Zell Miller. And, yeah. 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 and, and a lot of us forget that Zell Miller was once a Democrat. Yeah. 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 So, so, so what Senator Leffler has, to your point, Jackie, is a built-in infrastructure as being the quote-unquote incumbent senator where Congressman Collins is, while he's known nationally and in Georgia— but he's going to have to get in some of these rural areas that I believe the Leffler team, because she's inherited this infrastructure of constituent services as a U.S. senator, you're going to really see how impacted the rural um, vote is going to be. Because what we just heard about Savannah, I mean, listen, you know, they're up for grabs. I mean, they, they, they're coming to Atlanta today to beg for budget money. And we know that Savannah is a very, very fickle sort of, you know, back and forth city and county. Um, and so I think that the rural vote is in play because if I'm Kelly Leffler right now, because remember, she was supposed to be this savior of Republican women, suburban women, right? Because that's one of the reasons why we went with her. But if you look at her messaging, and she's been very, very cozying up to Trump. So now I think that she's got a unique opportunity to get in some of these rural counties and talk about specifically what she's doing. Yeah, as a, as a girl who grew up on a farm right. and as a young girl at the time, uh, I'm not calling her a girl now, just to be clear. I'm talking about when she was young. Hold off on your tweets. Um, Adam, I've said it before. The issue that Leffler is going to have to address is authenticity. It's easy to put out a list of bullet points uh, to show that I stand with Trump on virtually everything. It's another thing for people to recognize that you those are in your, the, your, the marrow of your bones. Right. And I, I, I'm not doubting that she believes those things, but that's the other side of what Tamar's talking about. Great on one hand, she doesn't have to defend a record. On the other hand, those bullet points, we don't have any history that that's where she's been on issues. And she's going to have to prove that. She's going to have to prove that, and, and I'm going to take off the editorial sure. writer hat here and, and give a little bit of a, sure. a voter rant. This whole thing, and, and Jackie, I especially want to hear from you on this, is this whole loyalty to a person is out of control. And, it, and it's not just on the Republican side. It is on the Democrat side because as we get closer to the election, we're going to see the messaging shift to I'm anti-Trump. I'm pro-Trump. And – Kelly Leffler right now is in that loyalty, and she's not going to be able to differ- differentiate herself from Doug Collins if she continues to make that the basis of her campaign. That's a really right. good point. But by Collins entering, perhaps she's free, been freed from having to be quite that uh, loyal. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I mean, again, I think she has the same challenges that Warnock has mm-hmm. in that she's a first-time politician. And, and as I tell all candidates— 
you'd be very careful because you'll have a lot of consultants that will tell you lots of things, but in the end, it's your decision. I mean, I've said that for, for all candidates, not for any one candidate. But I do talk a lot, about, and I think you're exactly right, Adam. So I talk a lot about, not to bring up my book again, but Nar Broken America. You mean Nar Broken exactly. America, why both sides <laughs> need to stop ranting and start listening? Thank you. But I do talk about tribalization, how it's a real problem, and that we do need to be able to talk about policies and how we work together and not automatically. I think this whole idea of a you know, a proxy election, I think it's quite frankly ridiculous on both sides. I think every candidate should stand on their own in terms of what they believe and their policies and why they're there. And if they can't, they might need to rethink about why they're running. So tomorrow, before we take a break, uh, obviously there will be now, it'll be fascinating. Adam reminded us, us of what one tweet from Trump did for Brian Kemp in the Republican primary. So now where does Trump go with this Senate race? Uh, there are a lot, yesterday, he signed USMCA, the Mexican-Canadian-American Trade Agreement, and had, you know, we could talk about the pettiness of his only having Republican members in the room when he signed, given that Democrats in the House had a big role in helping craft the final legislation. But that's fine. You know, he did what he did. So he called out a number of senators who were in that room. One of about eight or nine happened to have been Kelly Leffler. He made he had one sentence, basically. He said, and, you know, welcome. I hear you're doing a great job. There are going to be people who will cling to that as a sign that Trump is now on Leffler's side. <laughs> and her team and, highlighted yeah, that on but, Twitter immediately. But you know what he was doing? He was, he was counting votes in the Senate impeachment trial. <laughs> sure, sure. And as I've said for the last couple of years, and it still is true now, you cannot be elected in Georgia as a Republican, but pretty much anywhere in the U.S. if you're an anti-Trumper right now. It's right. just not going to work. Right. So, right. of course, her team is going to highlight that. But behind the scenes, as as Governor Kemp was making the choice about his appointment, we heard President Trump on at least three different occasions lobbying for Doug Collins. Yeah. And, and we'll see how deep that loyalty goes yeah, now. Yeah, Jackie. Isn't it? Ooh, that's going to be fascinating to watch. Well, I do, but I think also when we look back and talk about, and clearly Trump's tweet did have something to do with Brian Kemp winning, but you also have to look at the fact that Casey Cagle was, quite frankly, he was already kind of on his way down. I mean, he was there was already a lot of issues. I mean, he should have won outright if he was a. But there were a lot of issues already. So, again, I think we often simplify things to the one most obvious, and and there are really multiple layers. Fair enough. We got to get a break. Fair enough. Although, if you were to go back and look at polling, uh, you would see that bam, the day after that uh, tweet. Uh, Kemp jumped. He may have been on his way there anyway, but boy, it was accelerating. And not right. that overwhelming either. Right. I mean, right. it was going to be a close race, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. All right, let's do this. Let's get our final break, the show out of the way, and come back. I really do want to hear what you all think about the dynamics of the potential for actual primaries uh, for both Republicans and Democrats. We'll do that after these messages. <laughs> Uh, so we talked yesterday a bit about this potential, this bill that was already been mentioned in this conversation today that would establish instead of the jungle, I keep calling it a jungle election, not a jungle primary, because it's just that's what it is, essentially. It's a jungle general election that would lead to a runoff if nobody gets 51 percent of the rate of the vote. But uh, 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 tomorrow. We talked yesterday about the fact if, in fact, as Theron uh, laid out so clearly, there isn't, uh, they are able to force a primary both for Republicans and Democrats. Yesterday, we spent a good amount of time talking about the fact that probably favors Doug Collins. 
because that primary would happen relatively quickly, doesn't give her a lot of chance, Leffler, to tell people who she is, and Collins is already much better known, although he has a long way to go in name recognition, too. I haven't yet, because Raphael Warnock is so fresh to this race today, figured out what a primary might mean on the Democratic side. Have you been able to kind of parse that out yet in your head? I know Theron certainly probably has. I mean, you're, you're seeing Democrats in the legislature side with David Ralston in favor of this bill because to them, you know, they want to cut down on the chance of a runoff in January 2021. Yeah, because Democrats lose. Horrible runoffs. record in that. Horrible <laughs> yeah, <they> record. <laughs> exactly. So they want to they want to cut down on that. Um, you know, at the same time, a, a primary is going to produce a, a more partisan candidate. You're going to get somebody more on the left. So you could take that Stacey Abrams lane, which proved to be very effective in, in 2018. And, and maybe that's what Warnock is going to do. Um, or that that could be an issue uh, for the suburbs and getting the suburban women. Theron, what do you how do you think it would change the dynamic of the Democratic race? If you had Ed Tarver, just pick the field now, Matt Lieberman, Ed Tarver, Raphael Warnock on the same Democratic ticket in May. Well, what it does, it actually will force some people who have been looking at running for the jungle primary open uh, Senate seat. Well, it's not open, but against uh, Senator uh, Leffler, the race that she's in, the jungle uh, election. Some of these folks would have to recalculate because let's just hypothetically say if Michael Thurman, who has you know won statewide before, if it goes to a primary, he may look at jumping in this because yeah. what he'll say is I've been on the ballot multiple right. times. Right. I don't have to spend as much money. I can, you know, do enough to actually uh, become the nominee. But I do think that, to Tamar's point, yes, Democrats in Georgia, we have struggled, I mean, immensely to try to win runoff, runoffs in the state. But if this Senate seat comes down to who controls the U.S. Senate, I mean, if it comes down to if, if we Democrats are able to win, we could actually, you know, uh, pick up some seats in other areas, but actually regain power in the, in the U.S. Senate— it is going to be limitless as far as the mm-hmm. national figures, the money that will come down. And so I do think that that's it. But but other thing I want to say is this. I, I'm hearing at the Capitol that Democrats and Republicans are talking about teaming up to to really look at this bill closely because um, you also may see some folks who are currently in the race against David Perdue that may want to look at switching over because it won't be as sort mm-hmm. of optimally bad, you know, because either way they're going to say, hey, I'm running, you know, in a Democratic primary. And so um, I do believe that Secretary of State Raffensperger also plays a role in this, too, because at a time where we're not talking about voting machines, which he's got to get right, I mean, he will have a lot of input on on this and whether or not if this bill passes, how does he administer yeah. this, this primary? There, there, and there's another factor in that could come into play here, Adam, as well, which is when is qualifying going to actually mm-hmm. be set for that, what we're calling Senate race number two, the Kelly Leffler, Johnny Isaacson seat? Raffensperger, Secretary of State, says it's going to happen the same time qualifying for the May primaries that are taking place in all statewide offices. Um, But state law right now says, no, 60 days prior to an election. Mm -hmm. And what that means, as you well know, Mm -hmm. is that what Theron is saying is true. I mean, you could actually run, if you set set, uh, qualifying Mm -hmm. 60 days before race number two, you could run in the the race against David Perdue, lose, Mm -hmm. and then jump into the other race Mm -hmm. down the road. Which is when they first announced this, this jungle primary, that's 
kind of what I thought might happen was if if you had somebody that rang that ran very very strong in the in the Purdue opponent yeah. that they would just go ahead and take the momentum that they had and, and carry it over. Now that's before people like Raphael Warnock jumped into the race, so I think that changes everything. But if if qualifying is March second through the sixth, which is what it is for everything else on that ballot, yeah, that's coming really quick, and they got to get ready tomorrow. I. You know what? I've, I've been listening to the rhetoric and f- struggling with it myself. Just as a journalist, it gets really complicated how we as, write, as writers explain all of that. <laughs> you know and do it in something about? like 800 words. Yeah, yeah. it's nuts. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Jackie, you're, let me, you're being very careful, and that's probably really smart. But but you're you're a pretty important figure, and your opinion counts to Republicans in this state. How difficult is it going to be to try to remain what I think you've decided you want to be for at least the time being, somewhat neutral? You've done a good job of it here today, but are are people like you going to start feeling pressure to look at uh, at at speaking out in favor of a candidate, whether it's on this show or in your column or anywhere else? I mean, there's always pressure. There's always pressure for everything. And that's the way life is, right? So you get to decide. <laughs> oh, God. You know, you that was just not... a very lame answer. No, you have to decide whether or not that you, that you feel like it's important for you to do that. And I think in this case, I mean, I, I think it's a, there are too many things that are unknown. Clearly, if there was a primary and we had a Republican nominee, whoever that might be, I would be for the Republican yeah. nominee. I yeah. mean, that's not surprising. Um, but I think there are too many unknowns. And I do think the Senator Leffler, she's got a chance to kind of, you know, look around, kind of redefine herself and see what happens. And I don't think we know enough yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, and for all we know, we could have another Republican candidate out there. I actually we said, don't know. I said, I wonder what you think about this. Sarah. I actually thought yesterday, hey, you know, maybe a primary would be good for Republicans uh, because if we're going to have warfare between Collins and Leffler, and if they have to run against each other in May instead of November, at least you get a candidate mm-hmm. in May and have a chance to heal before the general election. There are ways in this which this could work to the mm-hmm. Republicans' favor. Absolutely. And, and, and there are so many other Republicans out here in the state like Jackie where they, no matter what, who— the nominee is he or she, they're going to rally behind that Republican nominee. But one of the things I want to point out, and Jackie and I have been friends for a long time, what, what really is glaring to me, and I don't want to speak for her, but this is just my observation. I believe there's thousands of other people out there like Jackie Gingrich Cushman right now who is making a, a robust attempt to say, hey, guys in my party, let's stop the, the, the tribalism, and let's try to really have a sensible conversation because I believe that there's so many women out there like Jackie that are in play. And in Democrats, we just cannot miss this mark. Okay, last real quick comment because we're out of time. Tomorrow. You're talking about how a, a primary might be helpful to, to help way, Georgia Republicans heal. National Republicans would absolutely disagree with you, which is mm-hmm. why you're seeing them go yeah. so hard after Doug Collins. When you look at an entire map where they have to defend states like Maine. Um, oh, that makes <laughs> sense. I get that. I, like I, Alaska. All right, I get um, that. So that's something to watch, too. All right. I hate to end this conversation, but we are completely out of time. Uh, Adam, it's really great to have you in the studio. Jackie Cushman, Theron Johnson, I've said it before. I love having you two together on the show. And Tamar Hellerman, you know, I'm glad you're part of our weekly mix here at Political Rewind. Uh, I am very happy to report that once again, 
We have done an entire political rewind and not talked about impeachment one time. <laughs> but at one o'clock today, you can listen to uh, impeachment coverage on uh, on GPB Radio. We'll be carrying the NPR coverage today, the second day of questions. We expect as soon as tomorrow, the Senate will vote certainly on witnesses and then may decide to vote on whether to convict or not convict. So that'll be fascinating. I'm Bill Maggot. See you again tomorrow at 9. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.